If you have your copy of the scripture, I invite you to turn with me to the tiny book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, just looking at verses 1 to 10 this morning. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. I'll give you just a moment to get there, and then we'll go through the, the reading. Those of you who've been here for the last uh, couple weeks realize we're going through a series on 1 John. Uh, talking about the real life or what God, the life sort of that God wants us to have. And John, who's also the writer of um, 2 John and 3 John, kind of makes sense, isn't he? He's, he's a writer of John's Gospel and the book of Revelation. John writes this book in 1 John really to combat the teachings of Gnosticism, uh, which are around the area of the, the early church and the time of the early church. And... Um, the Gnostics believe, uh, well, a couple big things. A couple, uh, so one of the big things is that, uh, probably the biggest thing, is that they believe Jesus was not God. Uh, Jesus is not God in flesh because the Gnostics believe that uh, God is completely a spirit and he's outside, he is transcendent God, he's too far removed from mankind, too great, too wonderful, and could never be in the form of a man. Whereas in uh, Philippians 2 it says that, Jesus humbled himself in the form of a man and humbled himself even to death on the cross uh, for you and for me. So the Gnostics believe that Jesus was not God's son or was not God in flesh especially. But they also believe that the only way, because God is this spirit God who's kind of transcendent, he's out there somewhere, we can never have a relationship with God. They believe that the only way we could even get a little bit closer to God is through knowledge. And so the Greek word gnosis, which is where they get the word Gnosticism from, uh, gnosis means to know. And so they just try to know more and more about God. And so they, they use the Scriptures, but they also use their own writings. The Gnostics had their own writings to try to get to know more of who God is. Now, John writes this letter to kind of say, no, no, you've got it all wrong. Jesus... John walked with him and talked with him. He knows that Jesus is God in flesh. And so he teaches him about uh, God's kingdom, about who Jesus is, and how we can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, not through the knowledge and not in how much we know. And so we talked the first week, as John talks about walking in the light, that Jesus is the, in the incarnate Son of God, and any who follow him will walk in the light. Uh, not in the, the darkness and not in sin or darkness any longer, but will follow him. And uh, last week we talked about following the truth and a warning to watch against uh, people or teachings or anything that's going to try to pull us away from believing that Jesus is who he says he is, uh, the Son of God and God in flesh. There are other teachings, there are other people out there who try to say there are other ways to God than just through Jesus Christ. Uh, there are other teachings and religious and, and people out there who will try to say that there are other ways to live and, and eventually we all going to get to paradise. But Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him. And so uh, John tries to warn some of the early church and, and the Bible tries to warn us today to watch out for false teachers or false uh, teachings that we, may pull us away from the faith in Jesus Christ. And then today we're going to want to explore some of how the Holy Spirit changes our heart and our life when we give our heart uh, to Jesus. And so look with me in uh, 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. 
says here, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves, just as He is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that He appeared so that He might take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or known Him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. They cannot go on sinning, because they've been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does, sorry, anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love his neighbor or his brother or his sister. Let's just pray. Dear Heavenly God, we thank you and we praise you for the precious gift of your word. We pray, Lord, that as we open it together as your church, your spirit guide us, teach us, lead us, God, in your love and your grace to be the church that you want us to be, and to experience the abundant life that you have for each of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you have ever stopped to just think about who God is. But one of the things I've always loved to do, and I'm always so humbled by, is it's just, to, just to sit and think about what an amazing God we serve and, and who God is, especially in light of who I am. Now, you may be far more perfect than I am, but when I look at my life and I, look at who, I think of who God is compared to who I am, I am just blown away that God, the creator of this universe, the creator of all the beauty around us, the, the sun and, and the beach and the lake and all these gorgeous things, the, the, the one who did that, he created all that, takes time to love me. And that's difficult to believe sometimes because I know me. And sometimes I might go, I don't know if I would make that decision. I don't know if I would love me like that. But he loves us with an endless love. And John here, he's sitting down writing this letter, and he's just blown away by God's love. And he says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. Some of you may have a translation that says, how great the Father how great the love the Father has given to us. It's actually interesting because where it says, see what love, the Greek word that's used there, it doesn't actually say see what. It's a, it's a Greek word called potapen, which means of what country. And then it says, of what country is this love that God lavishes on us, that we should be called the children of God. The actual 
meaning of this is saying, hold on, I've never seen this sort of love before. I've never experienced this. This is an out-of-this-country or out-of-this-world sort of experience. This must be from another planet. This must be from something outside of our realm, outside of our understanding, because I've never experienced this much love before. How great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And isn't it great? It says God doesn't just give us this love. He just lavishes us with God's love. That we should be called the children of God. John says, I've never seen anything like it. This is out of this world. And God loves, it just blows me away that God loves you and God loves me so much that he, he accepts us as his children. Co-heirs, the Bible, the New Testament says, we're co-heirs with Christ. We have an inheritance and eternal life through Jesus Christ. Now verse, verse 1 also goes in and says, that's what we are. We are children of God. And the reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know Him. The world cannot recognize Jesus as God, and so it cannot recognize Christians as the children of God because we are mere flesh and blood. There's no way that we could be called the sons or the daughters of the Most High God. They can't understand the way that God's Spirit changes us because they don't know God for themselves. And only when they give God a try, only when they, they, they inquire for themselves and they, they ask God to change their life, could they fully know the change that the Spirit gives. And so verse 1 says, We are the children of God and we've experienced a love which is just unfathomable. It's unimaginable. It is out of this world sort of experience. And, and the world cannot understand it because they've never known that love. And they will never understand it until they experience God for themselves. And verse 2 says, we don't even know what all we're going to get out of this. Now, to be sons of someone, especially in this New Testament time, this early time, meant you belong. And, and you have a sense of security. You have a sense of belonging. And there is an inheritance from that. So whatever is the, the families, is the fathers, is passed down to the children. And you are, are going to be secured. You're going to be taken care of. And John goes in that and says, look, we are children of God. We don't even know completely what that's going to look like. We don't know what all we're going to get out of that. Now, I find great comfort in this because sometimes we seem to think that um, the, the writers of the Bible or the characters in the Bible are kind of superhuman people that just, they know everything and uh, God's presence is just always so comforting them. They're always strengthened by them. The writers of the Bible only knew what God had revealed to them. He gave them the words to say. And, and John here says, look, I don't know everything. I don't know how this is all going to work out. I don't know what sort of inheritance we're going to get for being the children of God. I don't know what, what the life after this looks like. I only know that when, when Jesus returns, we're going to see him as he is, and we're going to be transformed to be like him. He says, I, I don't know what our final state is going to look like, but I do know that when we see Jesus, it's all going to be revealed. In verse 3, it says, Jesus is completely pure. He's without sin. And we must strive to be like that. 
It says those who, all those who have this hope in him purify themselves as he is pure. This hope that he mentions in, uh, in verse 3 is not sort of a worldly hope. And I know we've talked about this before, that when the New Testament talks about hope, it actually talks about something you can count on, something that is secure, something that we absolutely know is going to happen. You can bank on it, you can count on it, you can depend on it. And so he says, those of us who have this hope in, uh, in who Jesus is, we have this hope in him, purify yourselves then as he is pure. God and Jesus are completely pure. Jesus walked without sin. The Bible says he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. And we need to strive to live like him. The hope is in the fact that Jesus will return and we will see him and someday be like him. In the meantime, we need to strive to try to live like him as much as we can. Now, we are limited in what we can do because we are in this carnal flesh, this uh, we, we are still in um, our, our moral selves. Uh, the Spirit is here with us, but yet we're, we're still always tempted by that, that kind of fleshly side and the, the sinful side of man. And yet we need to try to make every effort to try to strive to live like God, to try to, sti- try to strive to follow Christ and His teachings and, and follow in His ways, to try to be like Him, in that only when Christ returns and we're made to be like Him... We, we rise in spirit to be with him. Are we fully like him? Now, I remember when I was first studying to be ordained into the ministry uh, in America. And I remember the pastor was going to ask me a series of questions uh, to kind of train me about uh, uh, different doctrines of the faith, you know, salvation and beginning times and end times, that kind of stuff. And he asked me kind of what, what I believed about salvation and how we are saved. And um, I talked about through, through faith in Jesus Christ and when we give our life to Christ. And, and he talked to me about, well, that, that's one means of salvation, but Baptists believe there are three different ways of salvation. Now, now this is not saying there's any other way to, uh, to be saved than through Jesus Christ, but that there's a process of transformation that we go through throughout our life as Christians. And, and um, as I've studied this through the years, you can understand this a lot more. And it talks about this here really in verse 3, is that we need to make every effort to keep getting closer to God, to keep purifying ourselves and keep trying to be like Christ. And so there is justification, which is when we first become a Christian, we are justified as, as if we'd never sinned. So just as if we'd never sinned, that slate is wiped clean. All that sin is forgiven. But the problem with that is we continue to do wrong. And we, we continue sometimes to, to fall outside of uh, God's best and God's expectations. And so we continually need to ask forgiveness and continue to be cleansed. Continually strive to get to know more about God and know who He is. And learn from our relationship with Him. And be drawn to Him and continually trying to leave that life of sin. And that process is called sanctification in that we are continually trying to move closer to God and away from sin. Sorry, I'm not calling you guys sin and you guys closer to God. I'm just saying we're going to continue to try to move closer to God and away from sin. And we're, we're leaving that old life, and that's a continued process, and we never perfect it in this life. We never get to be like Jesus. Now, there are some religions who just think 
if you just do certain things, eventually you re- reach a higher state, a higher than, than any other humans, and eventually you reach perfection. The Bible doesn't teach anything about that. In fact, the Bible says we will constantly be at war with ourselves, the, the fleshly self against the spirit self. The more we try to get... In fact, sometimes the more we try to get closer to God, the harder it is. Because Satan keeps attacking and he keeps on working against us. And, and the Bible actually warns us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so there's always that constant battle in the spirit of sanctification. And we are only made perfect and pure when Christ returns. And we are made to be like Him. And they call that glorification. Okay, so there's three big theological terms for you. You've got justification, sanctification, and glorification. Glorification is when Christ returns and we see who He is, we see Him face to face, our spirit is changed to be like Him. It's how we were created to be in the very beginning. We were created to be at one and with fellowship with God. But sin stepped in the picture from that very first man and woman, Adam and Eve, and it continued down the line, even to us. We continue to stumble, we continue to fall, and we're never in that right relationship really with God until He returns and we are made new. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 talks this about sanctification. It says, Therefore, since we are God's children, it says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear children, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence to God. 1 Timothy 5:22 says, Do not be hasty in laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. 1 Peter 1:22 says, now that you have purified yourselves by obey, sorry, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. We have to continue as believers in Jesus Christ to keep on as we are getting to know Him. John says we can have that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and the more we get to know Him, the, the more we start leaving that life of sin, the more we're heading in God's direction and away from that sin. We, there's a process of purifying ourselves. Now, it does not mean, it doesn't mean that all those who believe in Jesus Christ will always be pure, will always be perfect. It doesn't say purify yourselves as, as He is pure, that you will always be perfect. It says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, verse 4. But you know that He appeared so that He might take away our sins, and in Him there's no sin. It says, everyone breaks the law. Now, verse 4, this is a very general statement when He says everyone, and He does this for a purpose because especially the Gnostics that he's talking to in, in the, the community started believing that they were a bit better than everybody else because they had, had they followed the Scriptures and they followed their own teachings. And through their knowledge of God, they thought they were drawing closer to God and so they're at a kind of different playing field than everybody else. They're, uh, they're the, the major league players, I guess, and you're just uh, kind of down here. They thought they were on a, a different terms with God than everybody else. And John says, everyone who sins, and we all sin and fall short of God's glory, anyone who sins breaks God's law. In fact, it says, sin itself is 
lawlessness. So what he's saying here is that John reminds us, as uh, is written in, in Romans, that all sin and come short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23. Verse 4 says, Sin is lawlessness. Not that sin leads to lawlessness or chaos, and that sin leads to you know, a falling apart of the, the system of, of law, but that any sin is absolutely counter to God. So there, there is no following God and yet living in sin because they're, they're complete opposites. So he's saying any sin that we do and we all sin, that sin is going opposite to God. We are going in the opposite direction. And early in verse 5, sorry, verse 1 to 3 kind of links what we are doing with the present hope that Christ is going to return again. And now in, in verses 4 to 10, it links what we do and how we live with when Christ was here on earth the first place, this historical Jesus who walked with us and talked with us in the flesh, God in flesh. And he said, this is why God came in flesh in the form of a man to save us from the penalty of sin. We all sin. And any sin that we do completely moves us away from God. We are not heading in the same direction. We tend to think in our society that, okay, I'm trying to live like God and I'm trying to head in the right direction. But there's still a few things I've got to work on. Now, what John is saying here is that you'll never be good enough. You'll never make your life right enough to have eternal life and have that walk with God. Any sin that we do leads us, just pulls us, drags us in the opposite direction from God. And so that is why God came in flesh in the form of Jesus Christ to pay the price for that. Wipe off that penalty of sin so that any who trust in Him can have a relationship with God. He's saying we can't ever make it on our own. It doesn't matter how much you know about God. You can never get right with God without Jesus. He is the perfect one, the spotless Lamb, who's paid for the sins of all mankind. Sin and God, verse 6 says, sin and God are, are opposites. And to be with one is to be away from the other. You can't say you're following God and yet be living completely in a path of sin. You can't keep on living kind of however you want and not following God's word or God's ways and say you're his child. This does not mean that Christians are sinless. I wish that were so. I wish that were so to say that Christians are without sin and without fault. But I think we know each other well enough to know that that's not the case. We all still fall short of God's glory. We all sin and we all mess up. It means that when we give our heart to God, the Holy Spirit comes in our heart. One, to remind us that, you know what, you have messed up again, but Christ has died to pay for that sin, all of sin. Love covers a multitude of sins. And the Holy Spirit convicts us and leads us back in the right way to seek God's forgiveness and His grace. He picks us back up Puts us back on the right path. The goal of the life of Christian should be purity. And he keeps us moving. God, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, keeps us moving closer to God and further from sin. That process of sanctification. We are always at war with that sinful self. And we are justified from that sin when we first give our life to Christ. 
But we're continually being sanctified as we get to know God more. We, we have a relationship with Him. We're walking with Him. We're talking with Him every day. We're striving to live like Him. We're knowing His Word. We're striving to follow that Word. We, we get to know Him more and leave that life of sin. And it's a constant process until the day we meet Jesus face to face in glory. And we are glorified in a new glorified body. We are made, as we see Jesus, we are made to be like Him. Verse 7 says, Be careful then that you're not led away. Again, he goes back to this, this warning. Be careful that you're not led astray. Verse 7, he says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Be careful not to be led away. There are many other teachings, there are many other things that will teach something other than Jesus. If we receive mercy from God, our lives should be changed. Don't ever believe that God can't change you. Don't ever believe that that you're too far gone for Him to save you. Because God can save anyone. Look at me. He has saved me. He has given hope and and restored me. He can do the same for any of you. But don't think, like, if God comes in your life, if you give your life to God and the Spirit comes in you, there is a change. And He changes your heart. He changes your life. He changes the direction of your life. He changes the desires of your heart. It doesn't mean you won't be tempted. But it is to say that as you get to know God more and more, you're going to start moving closer to God and further from sin. And there's fruit that comes out of a life which is surrendered to Him. Paul writes this to the church of Galatia. I mentioned this many times in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. He says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against these things there's no law. What's going to come out of our life? What's going to come out of our hearts? If, we are given our, if we've given our life to Christ, the Spirit, the fruit of that Spirit... It's love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we've never given our life to Christ, if we just followed teachings of religious leaders or the teachings and philosophies of the day, then that shows as well. Because that fruit of the Spirit is not evident in our life. I mentioned before that I've grown up on a farm and we had a lot of different fruit trees and things like that. And there was a, um, like an apple tree. There was a peach tree in the front lawn. There was some cherry trees in the back lawn. Um, there's some apple, apple trees around. Now, I don't know about how all this works. I just know you plant a seed, you get a tree. Eventually, hopefully, you get some fruit from that. But I have learned that I can't go to the front lawn to the peach tree and get any cherries. It just doesn't happen. Well, unless the birds carried a little cherry over there or something. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to be growing on that tree. And I can't go... Am I right, Bob? That's just not, okay, if I, Bob's our, our plant expert. If I go to the back of the house, to the cherry trees, looking for the peaches, I'm probably not going to find one. It just doesn't work that way. A cherry tree grows cherries. A peach tree grows peaches. And the same here. It just says, look, you can't say that you follow God and yet lives a life that is completely outside of that. Because if we've given our life to God, if we really surrender that heart, then the Holy Spirit comes in us and makes us new, and the fruit of that Spirit is completely different from the fruit of the world and the fruit of sin and destruction. 
So be careful that no one leads you astray from them because it says, if you've given your life to God, that will show. In verse 8 to 10, he gets even stronger with that, doesn't he? Verse 8 to 10 says this, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared to us, uh, for us was to destroy the devil's work. No one is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does what is right, sorry, anyone who does not do what is right is not of God. It's not God's child, nor anyone who does not love his brother or sister. He says, anyone who, anyone who just keeps on sinning is of the devil. And he links here the sin that we do to Satan himself who's been sinning since the beginning of man, tempting them and leading them away from God. And refers to those who decide to follow that way as a child of Satan. Now, I'm not going to look to any of you this morning and say, you're a child of Satan. Yeah. You're just like him. But what he's saying when John writes this is literally to say, because to be called a child of someone means you, you are like them, you are from them. And he's saying, you may say that you're from God and you may say that you're following God, but your life is saying that you, you're a child of the devil. You are from him. Only sin and, and darkness and corruption is what's coming out of your life. And so the life people see when you're at work and the life people are seeing at home and the life people are seeing when, when the mask is off is not glorifying to God. It's not honoring to God. And he says to this church, this early church, the group of people just kind of starting out, spreading who Jesus is, he says, you can have that relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit of God comes in our heart and makes us new. But don't go around saying that you love God and saying that you want to follow God if you never surrendered your life to God because it shows. It just sticks out. And we've all seen people through the years who claim to be Christians and they may carry the biggest Bible to church. They may know Scripture backwards and forwards, but their life is showing completely something opposite. This is also talking here, John is talking about people who are, they're following every book out there, maybe except for God's Word. They're following different teachings and different philosophies out there, and they think they've got it all figured out. They think that they are going close to God and that they are in right relationship with God. And John said, don't let them fool you. It is only through Jesus Christ that we have a relationship with God. It's not literally saying in these verses that Anyone who does what is right is God's child. Because we know that even, even sinners can do some charitable things. Even non-Christians can be great husbands at times and workmates and managers, CEOs, etc. I'm not saying that if you do... It's not saying here that if you do some good, then you're God's child. Or if you don't do good, then you're no longer God's child. 
For once we surrender to God, He makes us new. And the fruit of that is going to be that love, joy, peace, patience, and, and so on. But he also wants us to know, John also wants us to know that that life with God, once we give our life to God, that is completely secure. We're not losing that because we start to sin or because we fall back. Some people believe, many Christians believe and teach that you can lose that salvation. And so you can say that you've given your life to Christ and He's part of your life. You're growing in Christ and that relationship with Him and then you, you mess up or you fall in some sort of sin and you've lost it. You're no longer with God. I had a good friend of mine, one of my best friends when I was going to uni. It's part of a uh, move, you know, there's different denominations, there's Baptists and Anglicans and all this. There's one in America called the Assemblies of God, and one of the things that they believe, which uh, my friend Tim believed, is that if you sin at any point and you, you don't ask for forgiveness and you, you die before you've asked forgiveness, then, uh, then you go to hell. You're just eternally separated from God. It doesn't matter how, how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter whatever it is. And he, he, he was telling me, he said, no, absolutely. He said, he said even say that the pastor has been up there preaching a sermon, and he, he's, he's loving God, and he's been serving God faithfully for years. He's got a great relationship with God. If, if he tells a lie on his way out of church, and he doesn't ask forgiveness for that, and he's hit by a bus and killed, then he's just, there's no security there. He's just gone, and he's not with God. Now, that is not what it's saying here at all. It is not saying that because we do any sort of wrong, then we're not God's children, or we are children of, of Satan, we belong to him rather than God. That's not what it's saying here at all. We are saved we're not saved by the good that we do. We are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And that salvation is secure. It's not a wishy-washy sort of stuff. It is solid. It is secure. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life and sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ himself, God in flesh. It's done. It is secure. It is safe. What this is saying is if you've surrendered your life to God, the Holy Spirit fills your heart and and, and you, you try to follow the, the life of Christ and the Word of God, this brings change in our life. And if you're not closer to God than you were when you first gave your life to Christ or you first said that you gave your life to Christ, maybe you need to question whether or not you've really surrendered your life to God. Because there is change. It's more than just saying, I want to follow these certain teachings. It's more than saying, I want to follow uh, change from one religion to another. It's about a relationship with God that we can have through Jesus Christ. The King of glory wants to have a relationship with you. God, the creator of the universe, loves you. How great a love the Father has lavished on us that we can be called the, the children of God. It's more than just a prayer we sing. It's more than just signing a piece of paper to say that we follow God. It's a change of heart. It's more than being baptized. Baptism doesn't... We've got baptism coming up next week. And baptism doesn't wash people's sins away. Baptism isn't a decision to follow Christ. Baptism doesn't make us right with God or say that we are without sin. It's simply a public profession of our faith in Christ Jesus and, and a, a public declaration of what Christ has already done in our hearts 
as we made a conscious decision to follow him. And we surrendered our lives from our hands to his. If we follow him, there is change. The Spirit leads us to, to change. Receive God's mercy. There's change in our heart. There's change in our lives. People, we should see less of the, people should see less of the sin in us and more of God's mercy. People should see less of the darkness and more of God's glorious light. How great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. He gives such mercy, such grace. And my prayer is that each one here today will receive that grace, will receive that mercy. There is no one here that's without sin. And we recognize that there is no amount of good that we can do that would lead us into God's presence, that would lead us into a right relationship with God. But Jesus Christ, John says here, that's why God sent him. That's why God sent Jesus, God himself in the form of man, to pay the price for us so that any who trusts in him can have life and hope. And I just pray, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, that you just um, you do that here this morning. Even as we sing the last song, we've got uh, the rose open here. You can come and just pray. Um, if, you, uh, if you need to, uh, to speak with anyone, we're here to, to talk with you, to pray with you this morning. Today's your opportunity to get things right with God. And Christian, maybe you have given your life to Christ and you've been, you're striving for years to try to live right, but you realize you've fallen so far into that sin. You've never lost that salvation. It is secure it is safe. But God wants to restore you into that right relationship with God through Christ. And He can offer you forgiveness and mercy and grace here this morning to pick you up out of that darkness and put you back on the right path to set your feet straight and secure uh, following in His ways. If God is in with your heart this morning in some way, uh, we're just going to sing our last song. And just ask that you come up and just pray and just make things right with God. He loves you. And he's here to, uh, to share that mercy and grace with any who will trust in him.